let's worship together he's the king yes. my god my god yes lord god for you truly are you are king of kings you are lord of lords god let us not move forward let us not try to do another thing lord without welcoming you in lord as the words just said inhabit this place god reign rule move the way that only you can move god do that which you can only do yes god we welcome you in lord into every situation to all of our issues to every relationship lord every fabric of our life every every moment every deed every connection god we welcome you in god you you are welcome god and you are worthy and god forgive us for trying to do these things without you Forgive us, God, for trying to live without you. For trying to rule over our own lives, Lord, knowing that we are at our best when we submit our ways to the one who created all things. And so, God, move. Continue to move. Continue to have your way. Continue to bless your people continue to be a light in the midst of darkness God continue to give us hope Lord in hopeless moments God continue continue to just be our God our Father our Abba Father continue to be our Savior continue to be our deliverer continue to be our comforter continue to be our provider Lord continue to be our righteousness continue to be our hope hmm. we just sum that all up by saying thank you for being Jesus the love of our souls hallelujah bless your name God yeah come on one last time let's just give the Lord our God one, one more moment of praise he is welcome. Thank you so much, uh, Praise Team, for leading us so well. And um, I am um, just as happy as anyone else to have you guys in person on Sunday morning. And, uh, um, yeah, just really feel refreshed. And I'm grateful uh, for you guys using your gifts for the kingdom and being here. And I know for some of you it took a little bit of a sacrifice. So thank you all for uh, doing just that. And uh, also for those of you all who were able to worship in person today, thank you guys for showing up uh, for our virtual community. Here's what we've started out just as we are looking at our reopening plan is uh, we want to begin reopening with uh, ages 60 and up. And so if you are 60 and up, 
the doors of the church are open for you. We'd love to have you here. Uh, and that way we can continue to uh, do our due diligence with social distancing and keeping everyone safe. And so, um, so you, you're welcome um, in as well, uh, right along with the Holy Spirit. There you go. Come on in. And, um, and we love to see your faces. And, and even if you are one where um, or you know of someone who struggles with technology, maybe they don't have the means. Uh, we have space, and so um, you are more than welcome to come through the doors as well. Just recognize that while we are here, um, you know, and I've, I've had to share this with a, a lot of people. Um, when it comes to the scale of things, when you're talking about COVID-19, uh, I, I will be one of the final groups who will be allowed to be vaccinated because of my health. I, I, don't, I don't have the health issues that make it um, a problem. Uh, but I don't wear a mask for me. I wear a mask for other people. And, uh, and so if you uh, are here, we're asking everybody to wear a mask. If you're in your seat, you can de-mask. But uh, when we are here in the sanctuary, mask up for the safety. If you're, if you're not worried about it, if it's not you, that's okay. Don't let it be you. But don't do it for you. Do it for someone else. And uh, that's part of our call as Christian fellowship. And so, uh, so yeah, if you're in your seat, you're fine. But just when you're up and you're moving around, go on, put that joint back on, all right? And uh, let's make sure we, uh, we love each other well. Amen. All right. Well, listen, my brothers and sisters, I'm so excited. Uh, there is a word from the Lord today, and uh, we are in the second installment of our series called Finding Your Spark. Finding Your Spark. And for the time that is ours today, I'd like to share with you from the subject, Finding Meaning in the Meaningless. Finding Meaning in the Meaningless. Uh, Listen, um, I, I, I've been excited about this. Um, I hope that you guys have had the opportunity to, uh, to watch the movie Soul, uh, which we're gaining some inspiration uh, for this series from. Um, and we're going to be dealing with some questions that uh, often puzzle and perplex many of us for uh, an ex a long time in our lives. Let's just say it like that. We, 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 we deal significantly with questions about purpose. Uh, about God's will, about um, what we feel like God is calling us to. And so last week, we took some time to unpack God's will. And uh, for many of us, we were taught that God's will is about some, some almost hidden future pathway, uh, that God almost plays a game of, of spiritual hide-and-seek, that if you make the right decisions, the right choices, you work the right place, you date, relate with the right person, then perhaps if by chance the right moment hits, then you'll find God's will. Uh, we unpacked that and discovered that that's not God's will at all, that God's will, all is not a, will at all is not attached to a person, it's not a, a, attached to your career, it's not attached to your education or any of those things that we find ourselves obsessing over that God's will can simply be summed up in a real simple thing that if you passionately pursue the purpose of God in your life then once you do that then by very nature you are in God's will let me say that one more time if you passionately pursue the purposes of God in your life then by nature as a consequence you are you cannot be outside of God's will if you are pursuing God, because what happens in the pursuit of God, you then find yourself uh, applying what you know about God to every aspect of your life. And by very nature, if you're trying to play God in your career, in your relationships, then by very nature of that, you are in God's will. 
Now, I was aware of one thing because I know that I deal with intelligent people. And you were probably listening to me and figuring out you, you found some loopholes because that's what we do. We, we listen to certain teachings and we say, I, I kind of hear that, but, you know, what about this? I got it. I was prepared for you. I didn't have it last week, but I got it for you this week. I know that I did not give you an exhaustive argument. I know that there's other pieces of it because here's what happens. Once we then determine that we've discovered God's will, from that then what we do is we determine our purpose based upon what we believe to be the will of God. Here's what it looks like. Once I figure out that God wants me to have this job, then what happens then is that I pursue that job, and when I'm pursuing that job, that job is God's will. I pursue that job. Now, working that job, I discover my purpose for living. I discover my purpose of life. That's how we, how, how we add it all up. I knew you all were thinking it last week. I just wanted to let you know I heard it. I heard it. I saw it. I saw your minds wandering virtually. I knew that you were there, and I want to let you know that even that's not true. Even that's not true. That your purpose is not attached to any of those things as well. God's will is not attached to it, and neither is your purpose. And today I think that I have a, a good argument by somebody that will lend uh, some, his witness and testimony to this. And so if you got your Bibles, open up to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, just one simple verse, verse 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning and ending at verse 13. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, so it may read a slightly differently from what you open up, or if you've got your app, what you launched that joint, just change the translation to NLT, and you'll be right with us. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Listen to what we believe to be Solomon and what he writes from the 11th century vowed Hebrew text, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. New Living Translation, this is what you'll find. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. That's it. That's all. Not a whole lot to it, right? This is the whole story. Here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. That's everyone's duty. It's everyone's duty. Now, in the movie Soul, that we've been drawing inspiration from this, and again, I hope you've done your due diligence and gotten your, your at-home um, preparation and study by now, but it's the story, again, of this middle school music teacher, uh, also aspiring professional jazz pianist by the name of Joe Gardner. And Joe Gardner finds himself uh, in what they call the great before. And in the great before, he encounters a character, uh, a soul that has not yet uh, come into the world by the name of 22. And there in 22, what happens when they first meet, Joe is supposed to be mentoring 22 and helping 22 to prepare herself for life on earth. And so one of the things that they do as mentors is they take, this is a good mentorship thing, because whenever you mentor somebody, you always be honest about where you are in your life. And so Joe takes 22, his mentee, he takes her into this hall. And in this hall, what you see then is, is a glimpse of his entire life. A glimpse of his entire life. And uh, here's what happens, though. The, the backstory to that, and if you haven't seen it, I'm just going to have to give you some spoilers. Uh, Joe isn't supposed to be there. And, uh, and he is taking the place of another man who is a famous doctor. And uh, when they first go into the hall to look at the past with 22, they're seeing the highlights of the doctor's life, and he was great. Speeches and awards, and traveled the world, and people applauded and appreciated. He was a great man. 
As Joe was speaking to 22, he asked 22, well, how is it that I can show a different life? Because I want to show you that I'm not this man. And 22 shows him, and Joe puts his hand on his device, and his life then surfaces. And what he discovers is that his life doesn't look like the other guy's life. His life isn't at all like the other guy's life. He sees some, some normal things. Joe sees himself just everyday living, eating at a restaurant by himself. The constant disappointments as he's trying to pursue his dreams of being a famous jazz pianist. Uh, he sees the relationship failures over his life, some of the mistakes that he's made over life. And as Joe looks at his life compared especially to that of the doctor before, Joe makes this proclamation. My life is meaningless. My, my life is meaningless. Now I've watched this movie, no lie, probably ten times, at least ten times. And of the times that I've watched it, I've tried to determine ultimately what forces and causes Joe to make that proclamation about his life. What makes one see their life as meaningless or less purposeful? Here's what the connection we normally make. Once we feel as though we've got a grasp on the will of God, we find purpose. And if we don't find that, then we say that purpose is not ours. That meaning is not ours. And it's something about the way that this world has shaped identity, purpose, and value that we only want to highlight the great things of people. We love highlight reels of life, right? We love to see things that are in this pathway to, to, to finding and discovering God's will. Somehow, even in the church, in order to discover God's will and to find purpose in your life, it's got to be something great, grandiose, uh, large, lofty, uh, magnificent, and monumental. And if you get those great, grandiose, large, lofty, meaningful, and magnificent, monumental things, then we'll say, man, once you hit that thing, man, then you're in the will of God. Then you found purpose in your life, man. God's got a plan for you, and that plan is always great, grandiose, large, lofty, magnificent, and monumental. And that's the tale that we tell people all the time. And so we find ourselves then trying to pursue that trying to pursue greatness, trying to pursue grandiosity, trying to be monumental for the culture, trying, trying to be the great people of the world. This is what we find ourselves doing. And if we don't find ourselves in that space, then we're like Joe. We say, man, my life must be meaningless. There must not be any value for what I have. When Jesus came, he said this to us. He says, listen, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have abundant life. And for some reason, we have then said that abundant life must be those things that the world said it must be. That the abundant life must be great, grandiose, it must be large and lofty, it must be monumental and magnificent. In order to be in the abundant life, that's what you've got to be. Now here's what I want you to know, when Jesus talks about the abundant life, he is talking about the abundant life. He's talking about the fullness of life. He's talking about prosperity. He's talking about great things, but not always in the sense in which we look at it. Sometimes we look at prosperity and the abundant life as though it is this idea that you've got so much on hand that you just got it to blow. You got it to waste, that you just, that you just living so big and so major that that's the identity or what we think prosperity to be. But sometimes, man, your prosperity could just be the ability to still be in the black at the end of the month. That's prosperity because if you ain't in the red, baby, if you are still to the good from month to month, that could be where God has called you to be. But for some reason, in this ordinary life, 99% of us, the ordinary life that 99% of us live, we look at that life as though it is not what 
we hoped that it could be. We look at it as though Joe says that it is meaningless. And I feel like Joe isn't the only one. I feel like Joe's not the only one who's felt like that, what, that you've, you've woke up day to day just going to your job feeling like your life is meaningless. Joe's not the only one who feels like that if they're going to be in, in, in living a purposeful or a meaningful life that you've got to have too something great, grandiose, large, lofty, magnificent, and monumental. I feel like there are a lot of people who are in that same vein where you wake up every day feeling like you are living without purpose and that your life is meaningless. And I have a myriad of issues with that. A myriad of issues that I'd like to unpack for our time today. Most importantly, I'd like to let you know, if that is you, if you wake up every day feeling like what you do, feeling like your life is meaningless, I'd like to let you know, before I say anything else, that that right there is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Yeah, I, listen, I might even going to unpack it more than that. That is a lie straight from the very lips of the Satan himself. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell because anything that God creates has purpose. Anybody that God's created, anything created in the image of God has purpose, meaning, and value. And it's largely fabricated on this illusion of what the world tells us is meaningless. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. I thought about that as I was thinking about this story. I thought about Joe and him calling himself meaningless. And I thought about Jesus promising the abundant life. And, and I thought about this illusion that the world has given us. And it led me to thinking about in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, after Jesus finished fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, if you remember, Jesus is then encountered by Satan in the wilderness. You remember that story? Jesus is encountered by Satan in the wilderness. Here's what happened. Satan approaches Jesus after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. He comes to Jesus after that 40-day and 40-night fast. The first thing he does is he says, listen, man, I, I know you're hungry. Bro, you've been out here for 40 days. You ain't had no food. Man, come on, listen. listen you, you're, you're God in the flesh. You got power. Go on, go on and take this stone, turn this stone into some sweet Hawaiian breads. Go on, Jesus, just go ahead and do it. It'll be good for you. Go ahead, turn, turn those stones into some bread. All right, that, that was the first thing. Jesus denied him, of course. The second thing, then he says, okay, I got it, I got it. You, you are God in the flesh. You, you are great, right? Here's what I want you to do. He takes Jesus up on this, 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 this top, top of the temple, this mountain, and he says before him, here are all the kingdoms of the world. All the kings of the world, check this out. If you bow down to me, if you bow down to me, I'll give you authority over all the... Man, I'll make sure, Jesus, that your name is popping. I will make sure that you are Instagram famous. I'll make sure that you are Twitter blue check verified. I'll make sure, man, that you that you got so many people following you that, man, it will be unbelievable. I will make you great. All you got to do is make sure that I know you, you, I know you, you're Jesus and you're good and everything, but I'll make you better. I'll make you greater than what God called you to be. Jesus denied that, of course. The third thing, he says, okay, all right, I get it, I get it. None of that stuff's going to work. Here's what, you're so all-powerful. You don't need me. Since you don't need me, here's what I want you to do. Takes Jesus up to the top of the temple. He says, listen, I read your Bible. I know what it says. It says that if you fall down, angels will grab you. So go on and jump. Go on and jump. And let's see if you are as powerful as you claim to be. Now, here's what I want to point out to the story. We know the reasons why we've heard that time and time again. What Satan was trying to do, he was trying to tempt Jesus, not just so that he could show and demonstrate his power, but also he was trying to tempt Jesus outside of his purpose. Jesus didn't come to turn bread, uh, stones into bread for himself. He didn't come to be high lifted up amongst the nations. He didn't come to, to perform magic. 
He didn't come perform. Magic wasn't in the plan. Miracles, yes, magic, no. Miracles, yes, magic, no. The world then says that in order for us then to live into our purpose and meaning, that we've got to be highly lifted up and that we've, since you're faithful, you believe in God, that you've got to be one to enjoy magic. It's got to be magic. But baby, magic is for Disney. It is not for your destiny. You cannot allow the people. You cannot allow people who deny the existence of God. You cannot allow people who do not believe in what we believe in try to determine your purpose based upon things that are faulty when it comes to the scriptures. This is not Disney. This is your destiny. And your destiny is not attached to anything that the world says will make you high and lifted up or make you look good in the eyesight of humanity. Also, also, man, I looked at this and I thought about Joe Gardner. I thought about his story. And I thought about everything that I was seeing. And so when Joe's in the great before, he's, he's working hard to try to get back to his life. He's, he's, he's wanting to get there because he, he feels like he still, he hasn't lived his best life yet. He's trying to get there. He encounters the life of the other guy, the doctor. He sees all of his accomplishments. And then he says his life is meaningless. Let me say that one more time. He's trying to get back to his life because he still there, believe there's meaning to his life. But he sees the life of the doctor and then determines that his life is meaningless. Joe was fine with this life until he saw the life of the other man, which is oftentimes what happens to us. I love this. The old former president, Teddy Roosevelt, said it like this. Comparison is the thief of joy. Or the writer, Mark Twain, said it like this. Comparison is the death of joy. He was fine until he compared himself, not just with the doctor's life, but he compared himself with the doctor's highlights. And that's what happens in life. We see people's highlights and we believe their highlights is a great representative of their entire life. But baby, everything that you see on social media isn't the entirety of somebody's life. There's a whole lot more to the highlights. Baby, people don't take selfies when they're going through. People don't take selfies when they're struggling. They don't take selfies when they're broke. They do those things when things are well. We compare ourselves to people's highlights and then we look at their highlights and say, man, I ain't got nothing going for myself. Well, baby, here's what's true it's more than a notion i know that it sounds like a cliche but you can look at people's story and not know the, look at their glory and not know their story there's a lot that people go through in order to get to where they get to and so you've got to know that there's more going on or i love it author uh john acuff says it like this don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle so what's happening is this we see the finished product and we're not where we want to be, where we desire to be. And so we say, according to their finished product, I'm just getting started and I'm depressed because I'm not where you were. I can't compare my beginning to your middle or your end because you put in time, they put in time to get to where they... Uh, Y'all, okay. Um, I, I love tennis. One of, one of my favorites, uh, Serena Williams. Uh, she didn't win. Uh, it broke my heart. Uh, but I also like Naomi Osaka. I'm a big fan of hers as well. Matter of fact, I'm root for everybody black but anyway uh I, I love it i love it um um serena serena williams we love her we see her she's the great she's the goat she's the greatest of all time she she ain't nobody doing it like her she's got she she is tied for the the most um tournament wins in history she's got more wins than anybody else she is literally the greatest we see serena today and we determine man my life is meaningless because i don't win like serena well here's the thing we see serena's final product but we didn't see Serena at three years old in Compton, in the hood, in Compton at three years old on the tennis court working and training for three to four hours a day. 
What were you doing? Th- Matter of fact, what are you doing for three to four hours right now? More than Netflix and chilling and streaming and on social media. If you want to be like Serena, you got to put in the discipline and the time. Serena didn't wake up as the greatest. She put the work in. And oftentimes we look at the final product, not recognizing if you want to be great, if your dream is to be great, grandiose, large, lofty, monumental, and magnificent, baby, you got to put the work in today in order to see your promise tomorrow. We, we've, got to, we've, got, we've got to work at it, but we compare ourselves to other people. And when you compare yourselves to other people, you'll never find contentment and joy in comparison. Because there's always going to be something that someone does a little bit better than you. There's always going to be something that somebody does a little bit more clear. There's, there's always somebody doing it better in a particular area. That's why God never tells us to measure ourselves next to humanity. Because if I compare myself to Bishop, I'm always going to find myself at the bottom. But if both of us compare ourselves to Jesus, we've always got something to aspire to. We ought not ever compare ourselves to humanity because humanity, yeah, it's a difference. But when we compare ourselves to Jesus, baby, all of us got more work to do. That's why the Bible tells us to look to him. Don't, don't look to me. Don't look to Bishop. Look to Jesus. Look to the cross. And there is where you'll find it. Joe looked at the ordinariness of his life compared to the highlights of other people's lives and called himself meaningless. But in our text today, Solomon, Solomon looked at the extravagance of his life. He looked at the highlights of his life. And he declared that it was all meaningless. Yeah. Joe, Joe looked at his ordinary life. Said, man, my life is meaningless. Solomon went through literally every aspect of his life, of his greatness, of his grandiosity, and he said, all of that is meaningless. He said, after looking at all of that, here's the conclusion, man. Fear God. Obey his commands. For this is everyone's Duty. I love the book of Ecclesiastes, by the way. You, you, got, you got to be of a certain age group to appreciate it, though. So that's why I'm glad. It, you know, we got some kids in the back, but for the most part, we all grown today. So we can have grown-up conversations. Uh, you got to be at least 35 to appreciate uh, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. You got to have some tread on your tires. You, you got to have, you, you know, a little skepticism working because you done seen some things. You done found out the people ain't everything that they said that they were. You done found out that some of the things in life ain't what at all. You, you know, you done tried some things. You done experienced some things. This is, this is the perspective from Solomon, by the way. Solomon is writing in Ecclesiastes. Listen, he's, he's one of the wisest men that ever lived. Uh, he's one of the richest men to ever live. He's one of the most popular men that's ever lived. He, man, he was one of the most loved men that was ever. Brother had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a whole lot of love. And he was very well loved, man. One of the most loved men on the entire planet. And after taking a survey of the entirety of his existence, Solomon said, listen, man, I got knowledge that's meaningless. I got money, meaningless. I got love, meaningless. In your translation, it may say vanity. It's the same thing when you break it down in the Hebrew. It's the same word meaning. It has absolutely no value. Solomon says, none of it means anything. I've tried it all. I've traveled the world. I've, I've got riches from all over. People come and they adore me. I, I've tried it all. I'm trying to tell you, man, it's all meaningless. None of it means something. Solomon looks over it all. 
And he says and decides, determines in his pursuit of all these things, after I've accomplished all of it, none of those things give my life meaning or value or purpose. None of it makes my life purposeful. He says, I've only found meaning and purpose in two things, fearing God and obeying his commands. It's the only two things in the world that I discovered give my life meaning and value, fearing God and obeying his commands. Now, for the remainder of our time, I could go on and on and telling you about what it means to fear God and to obey his commands, but you guys seem to be fairly intelligent. I don't feel like I got to unpack that too much because we know what fearing God and obeying his commands is. We know that fearing God is, is not about literally being afraid of God. We know that it is a reverence for God, standing in awe of God, recognizing the majesty, the greatness of God, that if it's anybody who's great, grandiose, large, lofty, monumental, and magnificent, it's God and God alone. That's who we are to aspire to. I don't have to tell you about what fearing God is, neither do I have to tell you what obeying his commands are you know what it is we don't always like it but we know what it is we know what obeying his commands are but here's one of the things that we mess up with about obeying his commands we connect obeying his commands to fearing or revering God you'll discover that the idea of obeying his commands isn't really what we thought or were taught always that it is to be fearing God revering God standing in awe of God then what God the great God tells us in his commands are not things to restrict us as we believe the laws are rather there are things to actually free us the laws are not restrictive they are liberty they are liberated they are to liberate us they are to set us free but when you look at it check this out um um uh, uh put him on the spot james james and i went to high school together all right and i was a knucklehead and james 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 wasn't all right uh uh we we both played football uh, I thought that I was a good athlete. James recognized he wasn't a good athlete. And so James went to focusing on things that he knew that he was good at. Now, I, I'm not going to get over there and do it, but I just want to highlight something for a moment. I took, you guys know my grandmother. My grandmother was a pianist here for about 30 years at this church. She was a wonderful woman, great mother, and loved her, miss her dearly. Granny wanted all of us to, to, to learn piano. And all of us attempted to try piano a little bit. Granny was self-taught. Uh, she sat down to five years old and just knew how to play piano. We don't know. It's a gift from God. Great, great woman. Uh, she wanted all of us to learn piano. I took piano lessons for a little bit of time. I ain't even going to bother your ears with what I learned. But while I was playing around, dip-dabbing and trying a little bit of everything, people like James was refining their craft. I can play the scales, which it ain't difficult. You just play the very next key. I, I, that's about the depth of my piano skills. But while I was playing around, James, what was you doing? You was working? Give us a little sample of what you was working with, though. I'm playing and James is putting in the work. This is what happens oftentimes in life is we look at the entirety of people's story. We sample things thinking that if I sample things then perhaps I'll find something that will give me value. But what I've discovered about people who do great things while everybody else is around playing, dip dabbing and trying everything. There are some people who's in the lab putting the work in, putting the time in. They are finding purpose and value in what they're doing. That's why I always say, man, we teach our children this. We tell our children just explore. 
try things out, just learn some things. That's not always the case. We tell our kids, you go to college, man, just, just, just have fun, just have a ball, try it all out, just explore everything. And what happens then is they end up wasting a significant portion of their lives wishing that they had later on been more focused in what they were doing. And I know I'm telling the truth because you're looking at me knowing the same thing. Had you not wasted your time with that person, had you not wasted your time at that place, that you could have focused in what you knew was in your heart to be focused on in the very beginning. But you wanted to try samples, sample size of this and that, and you miss, you didn't miss God's will, but you missed some opportunities. You got to focus in right now. This is what Solomon says, says, man, I've tried it all. And Solomon gives us a testimony that lets us know trying it all isn't the way to go. He's gone before us. That's what our testimony now as elders is. We've gone before. Now we reach back and tell everybody else that, 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 that ain't going to get it. Like I know, I know that, it, that, that it feels like it would be good for you, but I promise you, you're going to regret it in due season. So fear, fear isn't being afraid of God, but it is revering him, obeying his commands, finding liberty in what he called us to. But there's reasons why we do so. I don't want to explain. I want to tell you the why behind it. We, we fear God. We revere him, number one, for who he is. He's the creator of all things. He's the lover of our souls. He's peace in the midst of the storm. He, he is filled with grace and mercy and patience. And he, he's, he's, he's good. I don't have time to unpack. He's good. He is not the definition of good. Good is the definition of him. That when you look at God, you see goodness all wrapped up in his character and in his nature. That's who God is. And I don't have a whole lot of time, but that's, that's one of the reasons why we fear and revere him, because of who God is. And I love this, because in, in the Bible, in Scripture, man, they talk about the character of God. And, and what happens then is that once they, once they receive the awe-inspiring character and nature of God, they ascribe names to him to praise him. Once they experienced who he was, they said, oh, man, that's, that's who God is right there. And i give you a couple of them. i got to move on, but y'all looking like I'm not making it clear, so let me give you a couple of them. They, they discovered that God was a provider. So they called him Jehovah Jireh. They discovered that God was victory of a banner in the middle of a battle, and so that they called him Jehovah Nisi. They discovered that he is the one who sanctifies them. So they called him Jehovah M. Kadesh. They discovered that he's the one who heals. So they called him Jehovah Rophi. They discovered that he's the one who gives righteousness and justice in their lives. And so they called him Jehovah Tsitkanu. They discovered that he, in the midst of everything that we experience in life, they discovered that he can still bring peace. And so they called him Jehovah Shalom. Now, I like how the Hebrew people talked about him. But I don't know about you, but I like him for myself. And I I've learned some things about God over the entirety of my little 41 years. And what I learned about God is this, is that yes, God is all those things that they said in scripture, but I got some names for him myself. And one of the things that I love to call him is Jehovah Turnaround. I like to call him Jehovah Turnaround because I've discovered over my life that even when I mess up, even when I make mistakes, even when I blow it, the Lord has a way of turning my mess around and using my mess to be a blessing for me. I call him Jehovah, turn it around because every time I turn around, Elder Penelope Smith, the Lord keeps blessing me. Oh, we got our own names for him. That's who he is. That's who he is. We honor him because of who he is. 
because of what he's done. But also, man, for the liberty that he's given us. There's liberty. There's the liberty within the, the, the laws that we read. They're, they're not restrictive. They give us freedom. They give us freedom. We are set free by those things. That's why you got to be careful to how you read the scriptures. There's this idea that's called reading against the text. Reading against the text is basically this. If, if I want to find something to point out the negative in, I can read it and determine that that's bad, that that's restrictive. I come into it with the preconceived idea that there's something restrictive here, and so I apply it ahead of time. So oftentimes when we look at the binding, restrictive nature of Scripture, that's because either we've been taught or we enter into the reading and the labeling of the Scripture suggesting that when the Lord says to have no other gods before me, he's trying to restrict me. But when he tells us the reason you've got to do this is because you've tried to serve other gods and they've treated you bad. So what God is saying, I'm trying to prevent you from suffering from the things that you came from. But when the Lord says, listen, man, don't, don't kill, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't, don't lie against your neighbor. We view those things reading against the text as though the Lord is trying to restrict us from living a free life. Like that's actually freedom. But the Lord is saying, who doesn't want to live in a society where you don't have to worry about violence meeting you on your doorstep? Who doesn't want to live in a society where you can love your neighbors and where your neighbors won't lie to you? Who wants to live in a society where you can make sure that your spouse will be safe next to your brother, your friend, or whomever it is? Who wants to live in this type of world? And everybody says, we do, but when people come to us reading against the text, they say, man, the church is trying to restrict you. And God is saying, baby, I ain't trying to restrict you. I'm trying to let you know evil's out there, and I'm trying to give you freedom so that you can be liberated in the midst of these things God said I want you to live in a world where you're not suffering from oppression this is what Solomon is leading us to Solomon is saying listen I've discovered two things I've tried everything that the world has to offer everything that they said if you try these things they will give you meaning and purpose and Solomon says all of it all of it is meaningless but there's meaning and value and purpose in revering and honoring God. Because when you revere and you honor God, you also revere and honor the things that God's hands created. So here's the application for you. If we, if we listen to Solomon, if all those other things are meaningless, then if we revere and we honor God, if we live our lives revering and honoring things, then what we do is we look at his creation and we figure out then if God created that, then I've got to also revere, honor that as well. I, I've, got to, I've got to give my best to God's creation. I've got to give my best to those who are created in the image of God. I, I've got to give the best to the world that God created and, and gave us the power to have authority over. I've got to do my best about creation, about the opportunities that God has given me, about the doors that God has opened me, which means this, that it doesn't matter if you were called to scrub floors or if you were called to scrub up before surgery. You can find meaning and value in that because you recognize where you are, God opened the door. 
What do you mean, Rev? God opened the door to scrubbing floors. Well, baby, for some people, that's an honorable job. And for some reason in our world, we've been taught to look down on people in the service industry like God ain't providing for them. Like God ain't opened. Man, there's somebody, man, right now praising God as they're mopping the floors. There's somebody praising God as they're shaking the fries at McDonald's. There's somebody who's found glory and honor in those things because they recognize, God, you gave me that job. God, you opened the door. God, you did something for me so here then here's what purpose is purpose isn't finding God's um, hidden will that hidden pathway and then applying it to our lives and working it to find purpose and value that's not what purpose is when we look at Joe Gardner's life when we look at our own lives purpose is basically this you discover purpose when you look at the ordinary things of life and you do the ordinary things in an extraordinary way Let me say that one more time. You discover purpose when you take the ordinary things in life and you do the ordinary things in life in an extraordinary way. The Bible says it like this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord. No matter what you do, you find value in that thing. You find purpose in the thing. Which means this. What I do doesn't give me purpose. I give purpose to what I do. Yeah, what I do doesn't give me purpose. I give purpose to what I do. I ain't somebody because I'm a pastor. No, 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 no. I give value and purpose to pastoring if I'm at home studying and preparing, if I'm trying to love the church well, if I'm trying to be a good servant. Purpose or pastoring doesn't give me value or meaning. I give it value and meaning by waking up and giving my best to it. Me being married to my beautiful wife, Lord have mercy, does not give me purpose or meaning. But I give meaning to my relationship, to my marriage by loving her well, by being a submissive husband, by applying to what I know about God to her. It doesn't give me value. I give it value by loving well. And what the word has taught us is this, is that if you put something on, if you attach a label, if you attach a lifestyle, if you attach a way of looking, of living, then those things give you meaning and value. Those very ideas is what Joe Gardner took on that he put on on himself and looked at the aspect of his life and said, my life is meaningless. My life is meaningless. But I love it a little bit further than the movie. Joe's back in the great before. He's had He's had a moment, some things are starting to come to him. He's starting to see that he's got a faulty mindset about some things. And so he encounters one of the deities there. They call themselves Jerry's. He encounters one of the Jerry's. And he says to Jerry, because 22 is now prepared to go into earth. And he says to Jerry, he says, um, how is it that 22 earned her badge? Uh, how did she find her purpose, her spark? Was it in, in biology? Was it in walking? What, what, what was it? And so the deity, Jerry, turned around and looked at Joe and says, you humans, with your faulty understanding about purpose and meaning, we don't assign purpose. It's a very limited understanding of living. And so he didn't even tell Joe what it was. But Joe was able to then reflect and look and discover that for 22, earning her badge, preparing herself for her destiny where God was calling, where the world was leading her to, it had nothing to do with the things that Joe, Joe thought his purpose for living was playing jazz piano. And he thought that that was his spark. That's the thing that made him live. But what he learned from 22 is 22 found purpose, found meaning, not in anything extraordinary, but in the ordinary things of life. 
22 found purpose for living and eating pizza. 22 found purpose from living with a leaf falling from a tree. 22 found purpose from living seeing a parent love their child. 22 found purpose from living laying on the concrete and feeling the wind blow against her clothes. 22 found purpose and meaning in life by simply what she called jazzing. What was jazzing? Just waking up every day and enjoying what life brought her. It wasn't in any of the monumental, great, grandiose, large, and lofty things. It was simply in the ordinary things of life. And in the ordinary things of life, 22 discovered the abundant life that Christ wants us all to live. I feel like I'm talking to somebody today. Whether you're in here in person or you're watching on the stream. You've been neglecting. You've been setting aside the things that God has laid in your lap. You've been neglecting your family, your children, your job. You've been neglecting your service opportunities because you're waiting for something greater to come at your doorstep. But here's what I want you to know. Baby, greater is already here. It's already here. It's waiting on you to recognize that it's right here in your presence. It's not just going to come to you. It's not just going to land on your lap. It's about you valuing and enjoying what God has already given you. And I see that I'm not coming through clear. You always want to make a brother work hard, and I got to get ready to sit down. Now, there's a couple of things. Listen, Theodore Roosevelt said this, comparison is a thief of joy. Mark Twain says, comparison is a depth of joy. So what that means then, in the ordinary of life, living in an extraordinary way, what you've got to then do is do the work of finding joy in the things that you do. There's always going to be joy in the things that you do. Here's what I'll be honest. Can I put myself on a witness stand? I just finished working at Toyota. And for my family, they know, I promised a long time ago that I wasn't working in nobody's factory. I ain't supposed to be working in nobody's factory. All the years they were trying to get me to go to Ford, I was like, absolutely not. I will not. I find myself for a year working in a factory. But what I discovered is this, is that even though I promised a vow to never work there, I found myself there for a year and I discovered joy in it. Because I went in. Matter of fact, I drove an hour every day. And when I got there in an hour, I clocked in early. I clocked in early and prepared. You know what I did? I talked to people about Jesus. Right there on the line, I witnessed and I ministered to my coworkers, to my neighbors, to my line brothers. I talked to them about Jesus. I went home every day whistling Dixie because I was so glad, number one, that the Lord provided for me that I could provide for my family. Number two, that I was able to use my gift even in a factory making cars where I could celebrate and worship my strong and awesome God. I wasn't in the pulpit at the time. I wasn't pastoring at the moment, but what I was doing is fulfilling the purpose that God had for me at that moment. It does not matter where you are. It does not matter what you do. No matter what you do, if you commit yourself to the Lord, commit your ways to the Lord, you will find meaning, purpose, and value And no matter what you do. So whomever you are, don't neglect that job. Don't neglect scrubbing those floors. Don't neglect going in that building. I know that they don't love you. I know that they don't believe in you. I know that they look over you, but baby, they don't hold your destiny in the first place. Put your hands in the ones who controls all things. Trust our God and he will make sure that everything that you need, the Lord will provide for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. He will lead you into your hope. He will lead you into the life that you're looking for. He will lead you into the abundant living that God has for you. You want to find your purpose. You want to find meaning in the meaningless? Stop waiting for something to just fall on your doorsteps. 
But do the ordinary things in an extraordinary way. Do the ordinary things in an extraordinary way. Now, I ain't promising that that means that life is going to be easy, peaches and cream. Storms are going to come. It's going to happen. But I studied the greats. And the greats said, it doesn't matter. You keep pushing. You keep working. Michael Jordan said, I've missed over 9,000 shots. Over 200 times the final shot was left to me, and I missed it and lost the game. I've had more losses than one can count. The only thing that I learned was this. I got to wake up the next day and try again. He's the greatest to ever do it, the greatest of all time. But the greatest of all time says that there's going to be failures of this. That means tomorrow you may go to work and they may look over you. You may get passed over for that promotion. You may feel like your, your value is being neglected where you are. That has nothing to do with you. What you are called to do, challenged to do by the word of God, is to do the ordinary things in an extraordinary way. And when you do, Solomon says, listen, you'll find purpose is there. You'll soon discover everything else doesn't matter. None of it matters. Lauren Hill and D'Angelo said it best. Nothing matters at all. The only thing that matters is how you show up. And how you show up, you'll change what God has called you to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.